Hey there, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Tricky Kid Radio. I am your host, as always, Roy Turner. Now we're doing this remote. We are in California in a suburb outside of Los Angeles. To my right is long time celebrating her 35th anniversary is a collector of all things G.I. Joe, Diana Davis. Diana, welcome to Tricky Kid Radio. Hi, thanks. Thanks for coming over. So what city am I in right now? You're in North Hollywood. Okay, I thought so. Or as you put it, NoHo. Is that NoHo, correct? NoHo, yep. Okay. And we do care about NoHo. And then Burbank's about a block that way. Okay. I just came from Balboa Park with my man Doug Pinnock from the band King's X. We, oh. you know, we were doing the whole King's X project. So, nice. So I can't wait for our listeners to see, not only hear, not only hear from Diana, uh, but we also have got her husband, Colin Davis, who is also, he's a colorist, he is a home brewer, uh, he's a renaissance man, we're going to have him coming in, he's a member of the Falcons, one of the most awesome uh, home brewing coalitions, uh, uh, Drew Beecham is going to be also joining us uh, via Skype uh, here in a little bit, uh, and offering some uh, priceless knowledge uh, about their uh, experience in the homebrew world and, and all things G.I. Joe. Let's dive right on in. So, Diana, I am been dying to ask you all of these questions. First of all, what was your absolute first exposure of any kind to G.I. Joe? My first exposure to G.I. Joe was the miniseries, the first miniseries that came out on television. The very first five-part miniseries was amazing. It was beautifully animated. It was a exciting, fabulous story that just you wanted to see the next episode. You, you couldn't wait to come home and see the next episode. It was just an outrageously cracking good adventure. It had a whole bunch of characters from all around the country. It had men. It had women. It had people from every like state. It just had everything. It had an exciting enemy. It had a story that kept you going. The characters were realistic people. It didn't talk down to kids. It, it didn't, like, dumb down the story for children. So that was my first exposure. And then I had a neighbor whose father bought him all of the first figures that came out. Every single one. So we were able to play with those in his yard. And I was sort of pretty much hooked from then on. Okay, so so what you're referring to, which Joe fans will, 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 will call the mass... It was officially the called mass the, device. The, the mass yeah. device, right? Uh, okay, so you know, you never ask a lady how old she is, but for reference, in 1983, right? Or 84? Yeah. 84 was when really the, the show came out. 83 was when the figures first came out. That's right, okay. So, but, but it debuted in September of, was it 83 or 84? The show, I believe it was 84. Okay, okay. Um, and I'll let our listeners correct me if, uh, if I'm wrong about that. But um, so, okay, so you sold a mass device. Do you mm. remember this? Because uh, a lot of people don't seem to remember this. Do you remember that they showed just those five episodes, and then the next week they showed the Mastiff? You see what I'm saying? Like, like that whole before the the TV show with the with the individual episodes happened in Arkansas, where I grew up. By the time that school year had ended, I had seen the Mastiff Ice every week. Right. For what nine months? So I mean, I could do the whole thing for you right now because I had it memorized. You have like all the the lines in your head. Yeah. Do you, do you? But do you remember it being being repeated like that? I know it was 
over and over again. Yeah, I okay. don't quite remember because I do remember it was a long. It was a bit of a wait until the second miniseries came. A and long so, time. Yeah, and you were. And remember when they showed Destro on TV? Mm, I remember the commercial with Destro. Yeah, I remember the first commercial with Destro because it, it it had a bunch of characters that I was really interested in. I remember Arthur Burkhart saying Mutt and his dog Junkyard. And I remember the first actual commercial with Destro's voice. They used Chris Latta and not Arthur Burkhart. But I remember the commercial where Arthur Burkhart was introducing all the characters to Cobra Commander. And I, that I clung on to as well, because I think I went out and bought Mutt and Junkyard, because I, okay. I really love those figures. Well, I, again, the last thing I would ever want to be is gender-specific. Okay, mm. But as you know, it, this is interesting, that, that it, it is a toy that was geared for young boys and you know and it's one of those things where also men uh when they get older tend to more often than women do tend to want to kind of go back and 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 reclaim things from their childhood but this is something that Never left you, right? Am I assuming? Was there, was there ever a lull in your in your Joe enthusiasm? When he met me in college, I was bungee jumping 12-inch G.I. Joe figures off the balcony on the top floor of the dorm. <laughs> well, you had to marry her then, man. I, I mean, like, that's, that's, that's a no-brainer. I mean, she's cute, and then she loves G.I. Yeah, Joe. You, I, you, I kept my toys. I think one of the... I think the, the, the girls might have been brought in more by the, the cartoon... Then the toys. Okay. And then we got to the toys from the cartoon after we got to the comic. And it, that was just my experience. But I think that's very similar for a lot of girls because there was always a woman in G.I. Joe. Right from the beginning, we had Scarlet. And then we had CoverGirl and Baroness, and we had them brought in. But when you watch that first miniseries, when you see Scarlet, when you see CoverGirl, they're... They're not token women. They're just a member of the team. That's right. That's right. And that was earth-shattering to little girls back then. The cartoons we had back then were mostly dumbed down. Right. I mean, then we had things like Super Friends where we had Wonder Woman and that was great. But those were rare. So when that first miniseries came on and Scarlet came on, and yeah, she got captured, but she pretty much handled herself. Yeah. Right? She handled herself. And that was very new. And so girls tended to get into it there. Okay. Back then, the toy aisle was still pink aisle and boys aisle. Well, that's right. That's right. That's right. But, and how old were you in 84? Well, I was born in 75, so I would have been nine. Okay. All right. So you're one year younger than I am. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we're, we, we would have gone, we would have been like in the same class. Yeah. That's right. For sure. And you look a lot younger than I am, sir. So are you much younger than, 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 than I? I don't think so. I'm probably 72. Okay, so well, yeah, we're, so we all we we're all, all around the same we were all at the, on the same playground at, at one point at least. Um, so okay, so but I wanted so for me, I, I won't repeat this too much, but just to give you a, a guide because we've had uh, our Joe listeners know we've had Mr. Larry Hama on the show on three separate occasions. Uh, he's been so generous, and he also made it clear how important it was to him to have uh, you know women play that equal or even and even or even as a superior. Um, you know, he recently did an entire issue that was all women, and he mentioned that nobody noticed. I noticed. I noticed. I noticed. I wrote an right. article on it online, and it's not just that there were no women. It's that, I mean, it's, sorry, it's not that just that there were no men. It's that all the women were there. They, there was no men walking by. 
All the active characters were women. That's right. All the people involved were women. But again, it wasn't tokenism. Right. It wasn't, hey, this issue's all girls. It's just, if you notice, there happens to be no men in the issue. Yeah. And the fact that people didn't notice, I know that it might have been upsetting to him, but at the same time... It was upsetting to him, yeah. At the same time, because it was a good story, the men who read it didn't notice. And how many people see that and then they're like, oh, you're forcing an agenda on us because it seems forced. Right. Larry can write female characters as people and he writes a good story so that the guys reading it who might have responded that way, oh, you're forcing an agenda, a feminist agenda on me, even though people don't, he writes in a way that they, they're like, oh, they just accept it because yeah. he sees women as human beings. He doesn't see it as an agenda. He sees it as this is the way the world is. Yeah. And when you present the world the way it is, yeah. people are going to just, oh, okay. That's right. And then you point it out to them later and they say, you know, I didn't even notice that. And I, I know he's upset about that, but I think it's more of a the fact that the readers read it and thought it was a great episode and yeah. thought it was a great comic and it was really well done and they loved it. And then later someone had to say, hey, did you notice? Means that those guys were easily swept in. Yeah. They were absorbed in what was going on. And that's just, you know, that's that's testament to what a writer he is. Totally. Cause that's what I told him. I said, you know, maybe it's a thing where they didn't notice uh, is a good thing. Because it's, it just shows you right there that either, you know, did they not notice because um, women uh, don't have the, the, you know, you know, should they have noticed it? Or did they, did they not notice it because it was such a great story that this is the ultimate act of equality? You yeah. See? I think you know? the people that counted noticed... And they were happy. Um, we, we did mention it. We wrote it. It didn't get blown up, sadly. But then again, it might have been a, a good thing that the people who would have seen that thing and, and like had a problem with it, right. they didn't notice. They accepted it. They accepted it right away. And they thought it was a good story. And that means you're writing properly. Totally. Now, where would you say, if you had to rank, um, it, the, there's the three things to in Joe Lord. There, of course, there's the comic, which for me, that's the be-all, end-all. That's... If there's anything that I'm into, it's it always has been the comic. It's always been the one constant. Um, I enjoyed the the figures when they were out, but I would have to say that I got out of that pretty early. I, I grew up very very poor. I had to pick had to pick and choose, uh, and even while I was reading the Joe comic, I could only do one toy. Mine was Masters of the Universe. They right. were bigger and whatever. And then of course you had the cartoon. So what would you say for you out of those three, if there was a hierarchy in terms of where your really it, interest is? It's hard to say. When I was a kid, it would have been the cartoon, the comic, and the toys. Okay. And um, now? It's hard. The cartoon and the comic are different continuities. And in fact, there's someone just recently uh, did a post on, well, I'm trying to figure out how many different continuities are. And he's like, there's probably over a hundred. Yeah. Because, of course, you have one cartoon, and then there was a different version of the cartoon, and then you have a couple different versions of the cartoon, and then you have the straight-to-video cartoons, you have the computer-animated cartoons, and they're all slightly different. The Larry's comic has been the one thing that has been the common thread That's right. from the beginning on. That's and right. it's the one continuity that has been basically unchanged. Uh, we had a little break. And we had The Devil's Due, which was slightly different. 
But then we got right back to Larry, and he's been keeping on with those characters in that story. He's had to alter it to make it modern times. Right. No longer are they Vietnam vets. They're, but it yeah. doesn't feel compromised at all. In fact, I it's, feel like he was hitting his stride, if you can believe it. Yeah. Right now, Larry's comic is, for people who haven't read it, you should really pick it up. It is the best it has ever been. He knocks every issue out of the park. Totally. He is an incredible writer. I, I believe he's much overlooked. How many writers can say they've been writing the same books since 1983? Right. Yeah, right. or 82, 83. 82, 83. It's, um, well, you know, I'll, I'll say this, though, about that, too, was that it maybe I don't know if you were as dialed in, because I had kind of, like I said, I was there when I went to my su- subscription box, picked up issue 155 that last day, mm-hmm. and I was obviously very, very emotional. Cause it was. It was hard to read. It was hard to read. It was hard to look at the cover. And I wanted to ask you uh, about that as well, because for me, that trajectory, you know, I'm only one year older than you are. So for me, it would have been ages, what, um, 82 to 95. So 8 to 21. Yeah. And for you, it would have been what? 20. Yeah, yeah. like 7 to 20, right? Yeah, it, it happened. It was by our college. entire life. Yeah. Talk to me about when you. Did you know it was ending, or, or, or you found out by when you saw the cover? I, I, I For me? Thank well, you, sir. I figured it, it when the cover came out, and it was it was obvious what that cover meant. And the it way... It says at the top, yeah. Yeah, the Ooh, way the, the issues tended Ooh, to wrap up. There were some problems in the end with trying to do new things that... Back in the 80s, Larry had to do some of the what the toy people wanted. Right. Now, he's a little free of that. Yeah. And, and, and I think as, that's why it's so much better, don't you think? Yeah, he's able to he's able to do what he wants. And Larry writes organically. I mean, it, he doesn't plan very far ahead. The Famously, he doesn't the know what characters he's... characters do what they do. <laughs> that's right. That's and right. he doesn't know from page to page what's happening. And if you're told you have to include something, that interrupts that a little. Uh-huh. But tell me your people's history. Like, I mean, I mean, instead of, like, revisionist in terms of, like, why or what should happen, tell me what how that affected you when now this was now not in your life? It, it was hard because the cartoon was long gone. We only had reruns. All right. Uh, there was nothing. There were maybe some of the 12 inches coming, leaking slowly back into Target. But as wonderful and fun as the toys are for G.I. Joe, it was the stories. It was the people that were created by the writers. And I've got to say, the cartoon writers, I know people sometimes think it's more childish, but if you really watch them, even though there are silly kid-like things going on in the episodes, those characters are human. I mean, if you follow Shipwreck through all the things that happened to him in all, all these seasons, that's a pretty heartbreaking story. These are human beings who had issues, who had relationships, who dealt with each other, that didn't all get along. Right. These things happened. And when both the, 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 the Sunbow cartoon, because we don't, talk about DIC in this house. <laughs> but when the Sunbow cartoon ended after the movie, it was it was like losing friends. It was like, where does the story go? And it didn't end. And then Larry's ended and there that was gone too. Yeah. And it was it was harsh. It, Especially when you get the backstory later when you found out how, you know, he had been how the how the book got cancelled and all yeah. that. And we've talked about that, but I wanted to to, to, to end that one part before we bring Cullen and of course Drew in with this was that I always wanted to write in to the post box, the pit. Right. And I don't know why I didn't as a kid. I think probably because, again, uh, 
I don't know. Like I, said, I grew up very poor, so the wherewithal of that just seemed to be beyond my my pay grade, right? Right. Uh, and thankfully, as an adult, I have been able to spend time with Larry because he's been a guest on the show multiple times. And mm-hmm. and what's so funny when he and I get together, we don't actually don't talk to you, Joe, because that's usually what people want to talk to him about. Usually, we right. talk he about he wants to talk about other things that are going on in his life, and he has a whole lot going. Totally on. amazing person. Well, I grew. I lived in Brooklyn for ten years, right. and so usually when he and I get together, we talk about the Ramones. He loves the yeah. Ramones oh, and yeah. all that. And and like we were talking about the women earlier, we all he you know. We agree that you know the Runaways didn't kick ass because they were girls. They kicked ass because they, they were good musicians. They kicked right. ass, right? Yeah. But you wrote into Postbox the Pit and they printed your letter. They did. Oh, they did recently. They have never printed my letter in the original run. Okay, so you did write. I wrote back then. multiple times. <laughs> That's I wrote what I want to hear about. Multiple times. Okay, what was the first thing that you remember that inspired you to write in? It was the first thing that inspired me to write in was the issue that was drawn by Russ Heath. Okay. Because Russ, first off. What issue would that have been? What number? Now you're asking me and I've had a beer, so. But would it have been issue like four or like 40? Or like 140? It's in the 20s. In the 20s, okay. And I should know, and people are now yelling at me because I don't know. And I have a copy of it because I read it to dust and then I buy a new What does the cover look like? I can tell you. Oh, okay. Well, it's the one where the commander is escapes. The camp command, the cover commander escapes? Yeah, when they set up the, they set up the temporary base. Okay. Right, and they have the first Skyhawk. Okay, 24. That's it, 24. Thank God. I'm going to never live that down that I forgot <laughs> that issue. Um, but Russ Heath drew it. Russ Heath did the models, most of the models for the cartoon. Russ Heath did most of the models for a lot of cartoons in the 80s. Yeah, but you didn't know that at the time, then. I didn't. Right. Because I was a little girl. Right. So I'm thinking, so what but that thinking was you, the first yeah. comic that looked like the cartoon. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. It looked exactly like the cartoon. All the characters looked exactly like the characters I had seen on the screen. And that really had an... That's my favorite issue. Another problem why I forgot the issue number. But that's inspired me to write in because I was so happy that finally they looked like the characters I saw in the cartoon. So so that's why. Now, I'll tell you, the listeners why I know... I know most of the covers anyway, like the back of my hand, but the reason why I know that one so well was because it was the only issue that I missed... Okay, oh, meaning like good issue. Okay, that I missed. So from probably sometime around, I don't know, like whatever. I guess it came out in like '85, right? So mm-hmm. '24. Um, so I missed it, and I would go to comic book stores way up until like '98. Okay, looking for that issue, and I would go into the box, and it would be 19, 20, 21. And we get, 24 and, would be gone. And 24 would be gone. Is it because of that? Uh, Russ Heath... Because I don't know all the backstory like you know. I don't... Yeah. All I know is that Russ Heath is, was an amazing artist for his entire career. He was an incredible artist. The detail, the poses... He would take photos of himself so he would get the poses right. But okay. if you look at his vehicles, if you look at everything from... The beginning of his comic career on, Russ Heath was an amazing artist. Uh, to get him on that book was pretty fantastic for me, yeah. just because of all of his uh, of the stuff he did in the past. Um, the interesting thing about that issue was 
they got Russ to draw it. They also got Mike Vosberg, I believe, to draw it. They pen they both penciled it, and for some reason, Mike's pencils weren't used in Russ's work. And I don't think Russ knew about that till the end. I think Mike I don't think Mike Vosberg knew about that either. And there's a there's a book that was put out on a um, I believe a Spanish exhibition okay. uh, they did of Russ's art where you can compare the two. So how do you know all that though? Uh, well, Russ lived in. Um, North Hollywood for a very long time. Okay, so you you knew him then. I stalked tangentially, him. <laughs> I, not stalked because Russ is a really Russ was a really nice guy. You could take him out to lunch, and he would tell you fabulously filthy jokes, but he would also tell you the things he remembered from his career. Right. And then if you buy that book that was put out by that Spanish <laughs> exhibition, you can see all the art that he did. You can see some of his designs. I've got actually in those binders Larry Houston gave me some of the character models that were drawn and just his character models are just amazing drawings and then my husband got that him to draw duke for me over there right uh, a couple of years ago russ passed just a little while ago oh, it was goodness. an amazing okay. loss to the world yeah but he was a fabulous he was like just a fantastic person yeah and I his jokes were fabulously filthy but i mean <laughs> if, if you hear his story about moving from comics everything he did in the comics to working for Playboy for Little Annie Fanny and he, oh, so that's where the where the <laughs> that's where the, well, I believe he probably had filthy jokes before. Well, that's what, what, that's what qualified him for the job. I then, guess, right, right. yeah, no, but then he he apparently lived in the Playboy Mansion. Uh, Lichtenstein cut some of his panels out of his old comics and copied them for pieces that he made millions off of. Unbelievable. Russ never got anything from it, and he, so he told the best stories, and his life is fascinating. So the fact that he intertwines through G.I. Joe is, is also really amazing. Last question before I bring the guys in here uh, is I, I need to know where were you and when did you find out? And I want to preface this and disclaim it before you answer. Where were you when you found out that Larry was coming back to IDW? And I, and I, and I wanted to disclaim this. Our listeners know this because we've covered this before. But is that I actually, again, I'm always behind, right? I didn't know anything about it until about two years in. And somebody told me, and I was like, no, I was like, I know that there's a G.I. Joe comic book, but it's it's not what I'm interested in. And they were like, no, like Larry Hunt. I was like, bullshit, like, right? Uh, and so I had to chase that issue zero yeah. that started it. So, and then I did because it came out on free comic book day. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't really something you could really kind of back order no, or whatever. It was hard to get. It was hard to get. Uh, so much so that whenever I see it, I still buy it as if I don't have it. I just mm -hmm. have to get it, right? Yeah. So I wanted to know, were you, like, were, was, did you have your finger on the pulse of that as it was happening? Or how did you find that? Walk me through all that. It was a very strange thing. I had to let go for a little while. Yeah. Um, I had some G.I. Joe customs. I had done 12 inch and I had sold them. I had a really horrible horrible period of my life that just my grandfather died my father was diagnosed with prostate cancer goodness my I'm dog sorry. died well it was a it was it was one hell of a year and I I went through a rough personal patch where I sort of had to get away from the world for a few years to get myself back and one day I was at a collector shop and I saw one of the dukes I had sold I don't know how it got to that collector shop wow. it was something I had made myself kit bashed a while ago and I bought him back I just I, he was in a, a, a display and I said well can I have that 
and it, it wasn't expensive because they, they I don't think anyone else wanted him they used him in the display so I bought him back and then I found the uh, sideshow figure online that had just been released which was outrageous the sideshow Duke was incredible the San Diego um, Comic-Con special sideshow Duke so I had to track that down and then I had to track down the comic again and I'll tell you, following IDW Comics continuity, especially through those first years, that was really tough. Yeah. I remember Devil's Due ending, and that was kind of sad. But it, it kind of just sort of petered out. Yeah, yeah. yeah I remember I, it yeah. ending, and I knew the Devil's Due guys were really into it at the time. Brandon Jurowa was one of the writers. He's amazing. He wrote a couple of some of the best stuff for Devil's Due. Um, but it just didn't. It didn't have it, it and and it, not not it, and not. I'm not one of those Star Wars guys that doesn't like the prequels either. Okay. Yeah, like, like some of them had it, but it, it just it petered out, and I don't. You know, there, I'm sure there's understories, but the best thing is that is they they brought it back. Yeah. If Devils Do hadn't done it, I don't know if we'd have IDW. But today. where were you to walk me through? Well, like, I was like, here. like like when like for example, like he knows how you guys were married at the time. I'm assuming, right? Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, because you were in college, of course. So what I'm saying is, like, I know what my wife's favorite shit in the world is, right? Right. And if there was something that I knew that she didn't know that was going to make her this happy, yeah. I would be exploding, right? I that's what I want to hear. I want to hear that somebody came to you and was like. Diana, fuck! Like, look at this stuff, and I'd be like, "Oh my god!" So, walk me through when you found out that Joe was coming back with Larry in your life. Walk me through that. Uh, it was discovering it after the fact, and I had to track it down. And then I how started, far? I don't even remember. It wasn't too far in, but then I started going back to the cons. And the funny thing is, the Joe cons had shifted. When I had last gone to Joe conventions, the three and three quarter guys were had finally been sort of brought in. It was Joe Con was originally about the, the the great action figures of the '60s and '70s. Right, sure, sure. And those were fun. And the three and three quarter guys were being brought in slowly. The last one I went to was up near San Francisco, and then that's when things sort of went. Uh, things really went, and it was it was horrible and. I had to get back to people at the end and go, you know, like, I'm sorry I fell out of life, but I just, I had to. It was either yeah. that or fell out of life long term. Right, yeah. Forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, we don't want horrible. that. Yeah, 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 well, no. But, it, you know, these things happen. But I started going, looking back to JoeCon, and I started finding people on social media and seeing everything that happened. And now the convention had shifted completely into the 80s. In nineties, because people and, people now have, were older oh, and were yeah, wanting yeah. that, so and, it changed your life then, right? It, it did. It brought me back in, and and they're just amazing people. The cons were fun. Sadly, that's now over. The cosplayers, the groups of people now that had decided to rise up and start collecting just information, like yojo.com and and all the groups of people we've got, like James Cavanaugh's rank and file. We have. Um, this book, this collection of all the the art from all the comics by Carson Metaxas. We have um, these books that are the field manuals from Jim Sorensen and Bill Foster that have collected all the model pages from the cartoon. Yeah. Like, in the space I was gone, the people who I had sort of known from the beginning had stepped up and, in almost like a museum, collected everything about the history, about 
who did what. They track stuff down that even Hasbro didn't even keep track of anymore. Or if they did, it was only one or two guys. You had Daryl DePriest still at Hasbro, who was just a Joe lover and collector right, right. and creator. And, and those people had all stepped up and they've started cataloging this. It's amazing. You can go back and see stuff about the toy that is just, you would have not known had they not bothered to selflessly, on their own, because they love it, yeah. collect this stuff. Totally. Is this an expense to you? Do they send you these things or do you buy um, them? No, I buy everything. Gotcha. Okay. I, I, I don't get sent anything. Okay. I, I, I know people, I, I talk to people. But it's not fair to get stuff for free. These you, you want to it, support them and yeah, these people keep do it going. For sheer love. If you look at these rank and files, it's a whole bunch of stuff about every figure that has been made, like the modern figures. It comes with all the accessories. What were the different versions, the variations that are out there? Carson has gone through and he got all the card art he possibly could, and he has gone and lovingly just refreshed it. He's photoshopped it fixed up so you get pictures of the cards that look exactly like they were you have uh, dan klingensmith that has collected more history about the creation of the figures like he's got my color studies and my original art in his books uh, jim forrester he also has a great manual on transformers has collected everything about the cartoons and everything so fans have done a lot to keep these things alive. If you want to go back and learn a lot about G.I. Joe or just even see the stuff that you remember as a kid, check out all this stuff online. Hell it's amazing. Yeah, man. Hell yeah. And these people don't make really money off it. They do it because they love it love and it. they don't want it to disappear. That's right. Because that, that's how I feel too. Like when I go to the comic book store and I see that like there's like, you know, they ordered one issue of G.I. Joe. I'm like, ah, oh, come on. I want people to be into this. But, uh, yeah. We are going to take a quick break uh, to, to pay some bills here to talk about our sponsors. And we're going to be right back uh, with your uh, better or lesser half, uh, 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 Colin Davis uh, and Drew Beecham, the Beer Masters. And we'll be right back right after this. Hey folks, this is Brian O'Halloran. You might know me from such iconic classic films as Clerks, Mallrats, Chasing Amy, Vulgar. Anyway, you're listening to Tricky Kid Radio. Hi, this is Marilyn Gigliotti. Most people know me as Veronica from Clerks. It ain't 37. Tricky Kid Radio with Roy Turner. Hey everybody, this is actor-musician Scott Schiaffo, best known from the Kevin Smith films Clerks and Vulgar. You are listening to Tricky Kid Radio with Roy Turner. I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors before we talk about and bring in the song of the week. We want to thank Google. If you have not this Christmas season given your and yours the new Google Assistant, uh, check that out. It's exclusive right now. The Google Hub is at Walmart currently along uh, with the Google Mini. And also check out the 10-inch from Lenovo. 
So you want to get on board with that. It makes it for a great, great, great gift. Uh, we have them in our home, and uh, I swear they've taken over. My my son has full conversations with a Google Assistant. So uh, uh, and now they actually have introduced the Google Read Along. So when isn't that a great, wonderful thing for you to spend even less time with your children by actually having a machine uh, read to uh, your child so that you can have more time doing things other than than that so uh anyway uh so we want to thank google as our sponsor uh for 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 freeing up parents time uh with without having to the uh the uh unfortunate uh necessity of having to actually read to their children so uh anyway thank you google also thank you belvita you can find their new snack snacks in the breakfast aisle uh, and we'll be right back uh with cullen davis uh and drew beecham the beer masters Always been a better listener And didn't join to be a general or a medal winner See they told me I'd be fighting for freedom Making the world a better place I still believe them Off I went, became an airborne ranger Prepared to get dropped wherever there's more danger And Uncle Sugar, yeah, he granted my wish Long range recon with an M16 Click, I got dropped in the middle of a conflict Where the rain stinks and you can taste the vomit Napalm, bug juice, and wet bodies I'm not a hero, just a name in the vet lobby It's where I met Tommy and the best you'd ever know Sergeant Lonzo, Wade Dickey, and poor Ramon In the valley, I remember right before he died He wasn't scared, he just looked surprised And as I tried to cover slack with the 60 I heard a bad sound, that was it for Dickey It didn't get me, but caught it in the pick of my twin sister Lucky charm, more than anything I'd ever give her Next thing I know, red traces running through me And Tommy's dodging bullets, screaming, get me on the Huey. I fought my ass off in that stinking jungle, but little did I know, I'd only started digging my tunnel. Accept the fear, don't let it steer you. When you move with the wind, no one can hear you. Face your friend one day, the next it takes lives. Assume the worst, but count on snake eyes. Okay, now we're back here. So, all right. So, the person that just handed me, hands down, one of uh, the most delicious freaking beers I've had in a minute uh, is Cullen Davis. He is a colorist on uh, a, a, some recent G.I. Joe work here for IDW. Uh, he's obviously a home brewer and a uh, member of the Maltese Falcons. Cullen, welcome to Tricky Kid Radio. Howdy. That's the Maltose Falcon. The Maltose. Thank you. Free, Malt- you know. Whatever. You know. But, uh, yeah, until very recently, I was actually the club president. But, okay. Um, yeah, it's a fantastic club and an uh, excellent bunch of people and uh, an extraordinarily rewarding hobby, I will also say. And so, and also, and now, this is exciting for only the second time in Tricky Kid Radio history, we are doing something of a simulcast. And the person that we're doing it with is Brewmaster General himself, Drew Beecham. Drew, come on in, man. Welcome. Hey, welcome to me. Welcome to me. Welcome to y'all. <laughs> so, Drew, tell us that. Tell our listeners, who are, I'm sure they're familiar, but tell them who you are. What is the name of your podcast? Uh, and you're also a member of this this fine club as well. Yeah. 
Outstanding, and so thank you for joining us. Now, are you also a GI Joe guy? Well, I mean, I was when I was a kid, and then I completely lost the the, the, the line on it. And I keep watching what uh, Diana and Connor are doing, and I'm like always amazed. It's like, wow, I didn't realize that this was still a thing. I mean, I was a fan of the early '80s cartoon. I had almost all of the series one uh, figures, but because I was poor, I could never afford the fancy vehicles. Totally. And we all, I was, how's this, Drew? I was so poor that I didn't even know that one kid that got the aircraft carrier. Oh, yeah, I've been in that same boat. Yeah, okay. I, 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 I wanted that aircraft carrier so bad. Yeah, I still, uh, you still want it, right? It's something that, that, it doesn't ever go away. Now, is there an aircraft carrier in this house? No. No. Okay. No, I couldn't afford a flag either. Yeah, okay. We couldn't afford one when we were kids, and then we definitely can't afford one can't now. Afford now. <laughs> yeah, there's no way we can afford one now. Well, you couldn't afford one that like because you wouldn't want one that wasn't complete and awesome, right? right. You're not you're not gonna, just gonna grab the fifty dollar like third of it kind of yeah, deal, right? and then try and put it Bio back parts. together. No. So, what does a flag go for? Please, this is out. This is so good. Oh my god. Oh, the last time I saw it's the Thank thing. It, it depends upon who you buy it from. Honestly, if you want to try and build it piece by piece, that would probably be a little more affordable. But complete okay. with the box and, and sealed the whole nine. What would, oh, good luck. Or, 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 what, what, I couldn't what are we even talking? put a price on that. It okay. would be. It would be with a really good mint box. Good Lord, I don't even know if one exists. Untouchable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And also, there's the whole thing, too, that, like, the Holy Grail is that even if you get it, there's, like, that one, there's, like, like, a, like a little sticker or something oh, that's yeah, also, it's, you know. It's like a, a, a microphone or a bullhorn or a... Right. Yeah, so, an some little innocuous little thing. That's hard to get. So for our listeners, because uh, obviously, you know, our show's called Tricky Kid Radio, so we co- people say, what's your show about? We say it's about fun, because we've had everybody on from Faye Dunaway to Naughty by Nature. So we uh, we try to cover a lot of bases here, but we do have a, a strong um, homebrewing uh, uh, contingency as well as Joe. So I'm so happy to finally kind of be here to combine this stuff. So Drew, I'm going to start with you here. Uh, what is your history with homebrewing uh, in terms of, like, did you do it before or, or start before or after the craft beer boom? Well, I started in the early part of the craft beer boom. So, like, I think a lot of people, I was a poor college student in New England. And, oh, hold on. You good? Then you went and bought a still. 
But you know, it's funny. They say third time's a charm, but I would say as well, my third batch was somehow worse than my first and second. Why is that? Because of sanitation. Uh, so when I finally started back into homebrewing, it was 99, I moved out here to Los Angeles, and I, I worked a job that required me to work stupid hours for, you know, proving yourself. You know, go prove yourself, young man. So I worked like 100-hour work weeks for like nine months. And when I got out the other side of it, I didn't remember what I used to do for fun. So I, I see. sat on my couch. I sat on my couch one day, and I had a beer, and I read a book, and I had great fun. The next day came along, I was doing the same thing, and I went, I'm bored. I looked up Homer Shop, and I found one in Woodland Hills, and I drove out there, and I got my first kit, and after that, it was... Uh, it was go time. It was all. Like oh yeah, I, I brewed. I brewed something like six batches within the first two months. Oh my god! <laughs> I might not have brewed six batches since I started, like five years ago. Like for me, it's like a twice a year thing for me. But well, you have to understand, I'm insane. Yeah, right, okay. I understand you ha- that. Yeah, well, you, ha- you understand. have to be. No, you're insane. You have to be. Well, I was telling them, I've had a big year, man. I got married in June. I've had a child, and it's, uh, so, but, uh, but I got a, I got a batch brewing at home right now that I'm hoping to have it in time for Christmas, and maybe I'll have a chance to try it when I'm back out here in January. So, is there anything you're working on right now that, uh, that no one has tasted, even you? Yeah, there's one, and I had been hoping I was going to have it for Thanksgiving, but it didn't come together in time and there's a beer I really love so I'm known for the the Belgian French style called Saison okay right and, yeah and this is in your book isn't it? it it is in my book okay and my favorite Saison and arguably one of my favorite beers to answer that question that everybody says hey what's your favorite beer is from Brasserie DuPont there's a beer called Avec Le Bon Vue. and so I finally decided I'm going to sit down and I'm going to solidify my homage to that beer and unfortunately, we had a cold snap here in L.A. And we lost the ability for it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> tell me, this isn't about shit-talking, but tell me about a beer that, that, and I'll disclaim before you answer, that you might feel is a bit overhyped, and we're not trying to kill any sort of endorsements potentially here, but uh, um, we were talking about uh, Pliny the Elder and, and Pliny the Younger. On, on my way, after we're done here, I'm actually going to another... Shoot, uh, and actually going to be consuming Pliny uh, the Younger here in just just a few hours. Um, I feel that like there was no way that when I first had them both that this could live up to the hype until I actually tasted it. And when I drank Pliny the Elder for the first time, I think is when I finally truly felt alive for the first time. <laughs> It was literally the one of the greatest moments of, of, of my entire life in terms of enjoying something uh, like food and beverage. And so uh, so I'm going to take them off the table. And again, this isn't to shit can anybody, but is there anything that you think is an advice? And this is why I say here's the, 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 the silver lining here is that I feel like that a lot of the home brewers shoot for things like that. And they're disappointed when they don't reach those heights. What can you offer home brewers to say, you know, you don't really need to do that. You should be doing this. For me, it's almost all the category of bourbon barrel-aged stouts. 
uh, particularly watching people right now, we just went through Black Friday, watching people do ridiculous things to line up to go buy uh, Goose Island's Bourbon County Stout uh, as brewed and owned by Anheuser-Busch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that I do not get. That, that to me, would be overhyped, but... Hey, we all know that uh, Pliny the Elder is liquid rock and roll. There is no overhyping that. Oh, that stuff lives up to it every time. Totally. Right? I mean, we it's, all know that. It's one of the few things in life that yeah. does. It's, it's one of those things that the pros can really do well because they've been dialing it in for years. And the homebrewers, they can, they can get there, but they have to work up to it no matter, you know. They can't just jump right into it and expect that to be their first batch. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. But, um... You know, the, the thing about hype around these boutique beer things is that the enjoyment of beer is always just so circumstantial and personal that you can have just a basic pale lager and based on how much you want to drink that beer right now, that could be the best beer you've ever had. Yeah, for sure. Because I am so thirsty, and that beer just tastes exactly like the thing that I really wanted right now. And, and so this is like the best beer in the entire world that I've ever right. had in my entire life. So yeah, it's just too subjective to, to anything to really live up to the hype. That's, you know, that's okay. Well, I was telling you before we, we, went, we went on the air uh, here is that, you know, the first couple batches that I made, like, I wouldn't clean my floor with that shit. Like, it was turpentine, Okay. <laughs> Um, like seriously, like, and, and I had the whole exploding bottles issue oh, and, and all that <laughs> shit. Yeah, I went through all that, right? But I am very proud to say that one of the best beers I've ever drank, and I thankfully have now been all around the world uh, and have tried quite a few, including some of the the elite ones. And uh, I was just in Austin, Texas. You guys probably know about Jester King and all that kind of, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, they, uh, you know, I want to give them a shout out. They gifted me a magnum, a magnum of black metal. I don't know if you guys have had the, the imperial stout of that, but. Uh, uh, and I'm proud to say that one of the best beers I've ever had in my life was something that I made. And that, not, not because I'm such a fucking brewmaster, but, but, but because once you get into, for me, was how fresh beer tastes when you make it. Mm. And everything that I went through to make it, and I was just so satisfied, especially after the failures that I'd had in the beginning. So offer, I'm going to go with you here, Colin. Offer some encouragement because I feel like that a lot of people might make a couple of those first shitty batches and then stop. Yeah, well, you know, the first time that I got into home brewing was uh, somebody gave me a, a brewing kit for my birthday back in the mid-90s. And so I threw that together, and it was barely drinkable. But <laughs> I figured, well, maybe I can do it better next time. So I tried it again, and it was, it was better. So the more I did it, the more I learned how to do it right add techniques and dial in your your process a bit you can get better and better the more you do it it does take practice and it's like learning and and you got to study how to to make sure you don't screw it up too bad because it's really easy to make bad beer yeah so sanitize the more, is the word. yeah the more you do it the more you know how to do it the better it's going to be that's all there is to it it's it's you know it's very much uh, something that gets better with practice well, as if the if your membership into the Falcons isn't your bona fides enough, 
let me, uh, as my listeners uh, trust me inexplicably for some reason, it's just like some gift that I have, uh, is that tell me about what you just handed me because now I, I would hand you my, I would give you my, my, my fucking pen number after what you just gave me. Um, what we're talking about, Drew, is that he goes, hey, man, you want some of this? And it's a collaboration I guess you guys did with L Works. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, L Works. Is this one here. And he gave me some beer that's that's almost, it's like, should I take that aspirin that has the expiration date from like, yeah, maybe a Try month it. ago, yeah. right? And this is not bad. But then, I'd have been happy with some regular freeze-dried taste as choice. Yeah. And he springs this gourmet shit on me. <laughs> Tell me about this, because I was talking with Diana, and I had to like pause and was and like like fan my face for a second because this is so good. What is this? This is a brew called Double Up Double IPA that we uh, just recently worked on with uh, LA Ale Works down in uh, Hawthorne. Okay. Uh, our club just celebrated its 45th anniversary, so we decided that we wanted to do some special stuff. Hell so we yeah! Went and looked up our friends over at LA Ale Works, among other breweries in the area. This was one of the ones that uh, we, we worked on and collaborated with them. So we took our, our old recipe from 2004 that we brewed for uh, the uh, National Humber Conference in, in uh, Las Vegas. And we okay. took that. It was really a, a pretty straight-ahead, good, stiffly-hopped, old-school IPA, double IPA, which was kind of an emerging style back in the early 2000s. And so... We, Oh, how far have we come, my friend? It wasn't yeah. new. This this was, you know, right kind of shooting for the territory of Pliny the Elder. So we're we're right in that in that zone. So it was a really good beer at that time. So I thought, well, for our anniversary, we should try to look up and, and promote our history and, and reach back to our roots. So uh, LAL Works was started by an old home brewer, so that's why he's friendly with us home brewers. And uh, they do a lot to reach out to the community. And okay. So they were really wor- willing to work with us. So we grabbed that recipe and we uh, went over to him and he said, uh, well, well, we can take that recipe and we can change it up to use some of these newer techniques and some newer yeasts and newer ingredients. And so we kind of adapted it to the, to the newer ingredients, these uh, emerging um, uh, Norwegian yeast strains that okay. they found. So... Um, they, they have a wildly different fermentation characteristic, so definitely had to change up the, the recipe and adjust the hoppings and, and uh, where the, the additions would come in in the, in the uh, brewing process. So it's, it's definitely more aroma loaded, loaded rather than bitterness loaded in okay. this case. So that kind of takes advantage of the, of the newer yeast profile. So Okay, okay. Uh, Blending the old and the new is kind of a celebrates the uh, the history, the right? History yeah. of the club right. and the the uh, interplay that the homebrewers have with the commercial brew scene. So okay, it, it was kind of a synthesis of this celebration to to say, bravo! This is this is the state of the art with the brewing and the home brewing, and this is what we do. This is this is the magic that we come up with. Okay, and so you know, it's it's really a celebration of community more than just drinking and it's good i mean i mean yeah. it's kind of like i mean it would be enough based upon what you said that 
you know, it's kind of like, you know, you, you know, grandma's turkey is always pretty dry at Thanksgiving, but you still eat it because of the love that was made with it. This was made with the love and the inspiration, but it's so good. It's really, it's I, so the good. The first time I tried it, I was like, this is even better than I thought it would be. Totally. It was, it's just really freaking tasty. You know, it's delicious. Diane, I wanted to fault to you for a second and bring you back into the fold here. Is it, so obviously Joe is your thing. Uh, beer is your thing. Uh, now, okay, but y'all been together for, what, like a long time, right? 20 years, right? Oh, we've been together yeah. since college. We've been married for less, but we've been together since... 2006. Since... But, but you've you been we've together been, for how long? Yeah, we, we've been since... together since college, basically. Yeah, since so what year 90s, was that? What? 96, 96, okay, so for our listeners, yeah. you can see that. Okay, so... In 1996, you were into Joe. Joe had just ended, by the way. You were very yeah. sad in 95. Yeah. Okay. And then, were you a beer guy in 1996? I was a, a beer enthusiast, and I was just about to get into homebrewing at that time. Okay. But were you But were you a Joe person at all? Not really. Okay. I was familiar with it, but no. Okay. Now, this is what I'm going to fall to you. So, it was beer, it was starting about to be his thing, but you were a full-blown Joe person, your, again, your entire life. What was your, did you have any interest in home brewing, or did you even know what the hell that was? No. Uh, my father was a, a beer fan, which always helped when I, you know, when he got into home brewing, that made it so much easier. Well, you're, when he got into home brewing, right? Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. My father was thrilled. Um... <laughs> How many of you had the dads from the 70s that thought that they were going to buy or pay for our college tuition with a can of Billy beer? Oh, my <laughs> father would never touch Billy beer. Do, no. do you guys come from that, that, that time and place? I, I come from that time and place, but my dad was more of a low bro guy. <laughs> my, my dad was buying beers. He was going to Trader Joe's and buying the strange beers at Trader Joe's and tasting all that because my dad's in English. And oh, okay. American beer is not quite the same as what he grew up with. Okay, that's a great segue because I wanted to say this. We're talking about hype. And again, this isn't the shit can anybody, but as we all know, right now it's really, really cool for all these like kind of like rock bands. I was telling them before uh, we went on. Um, you probably you might know this band, maybe you don't, but the, a friend of mine is from Pasadena, uh, and he's the bass player for a, a, a rock band called 311. They kind of had a hit back in the 90s. You, you might remember that if you're our age. And they have their own beers. Metallica has their own beers. Megadeth has their own beers. Yeah, I was just with Slayer at their final shows over the weekend. They have their, their own beer. Um, here is what I wanted to say that I thought was really funny. Was I love the band Iron Maiden, the beer, not so much. Mm. They came out with a beer called Trooper, which was supposed to be this amazing English bitter, right? The funny thing is this. I have been a, uh, an amazing, and you'll have to agree when I tell you this, a great big brother to my little sister all these years by taking her to see the boy band. shouldn't say boy band because they're actually really great musicians. Uh, Hanson. Since she was, since 98, and we're actually going on Sunday when I get back home, just a tip. Um, and they made their own beer. Shout out to those guys. They're so nice. Uh, I happened to be in Tulsa on tour, and I found a beer called Mmm Hops. Oh, no. But those guys are amazing. If you've heard anything they've put they're out, amazing. they're amazing. They're amazing. They're the best amazing musicians. band in the world, right? Yeah. And even funnier, it says Umhops from the inventors of Umbop. 
Oh. Right? <laughs> and I'm expecting this to taste like complete shit, right? And I'm, I'm so proud and happy to tell you that in terms of the music beer wars, Hansen wins. It Hansen. is so good. Hansen eats them all. So you know about this. Okay, bring some knowledge to us here, 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 Drew. Well, I mean, the thing is, you look at most of these beers, like Stone's Head and Metallica thing that came out this summer, they had no effects uh, the year before, before no effects decided to blow up the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, they, they had a, there's a, been a bunch of these music uh, collaborations, and for the most part, what it is, is like, the brewer will interview the band and go, so what do you guys like to drink? And let's face it, most musicians aren't exactly the most discerning drinkers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, they like free, and that's where it kind of starts and ends, right? You know? Well, Colton Free is always the best. Yeah. Free second best. Right. And the, the, the guys from Hanson, it, it turns out, like, them and uh, the, uh, the guys from uh, Big Room Fish, who opened up uh, Liberation Brewery down Long Beach, both are real big beer fans, and they actually worked on the recipe. It wasn't just... Hey, so what do you like in a beer? We'll go make a beer for you. Right, right. Like, 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 like a ghostwriter for like a beer, right? Right. Exactly. Let me let let me piggyback off of that by telling you again. Like I said, my friend Aaron, who goes by the name Peanut in the band Three Eleven, like this was his entire vision. It's called Beautiful Disaster. It has eleven point three ABV for the band Three Eleven and everything else. And uh, I'm from Texas. Uh, some friends of mine were in a band, uh, are still in a band. Uh, that had also kind of a hit in the 90s uh, called the Toadies. And they've made a series of beer with Martin House Brewing there in Fort Worth. And I know that they're very hands-on and deeply involved in this process. Um, but I, uh, I I feel like that you can kind of tell when they're kind of like phoning it in. Like, I, I again, this isn't to to bash anybody, but I've had some of these band beers because I'm a sucker for them. If I like a beer, if I like a band, I, I, I'm, I'm their demographic. I want, I want to drink no effects beer, right? You know, uh, I toured for many years with a band from Baltimore called clutch and they got together with the guys who make fat tire. Um, what does that help me out? Is that new Belgium? Belgium Gotcha. Okay. And they made a beer uh, not really my thing, but I know how hands-on they were. They made this like kind of chocolate coffee kind of deal, and uh, and you know, and they didn't like name it something ridiculous. But I wanted to know, besides what we've talked about, has there been any of these band beers that you were kind of like, oh, I, I I'm kind of want to get into the band now because of this of, of because of the beer, right? You know, Colin, let's start with you. Have you had any of these? You know, to be honest, I don't generally go after these uh, these uh, sort of brand exercise beers, right. if you will. But it's you know they they brew them and they create them because they want to do that and that's right. their thing and and you know they they enjoy doing it and they want to kind of celebrate the the beer and the rock and roll lifestyle and that's right. totally fine. Um, I remember just recently the. Uh, when we were down there making this brew at uh, LA Works, they had they had just done a, a collab with um, shoot I don't even remember it was a ska band but it was, it right. was on the dank side by Good. design of course right 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 <laughs> so I mean the, the beer was fine but uh, it, you know it's not the recipe I would have created it was the recipe they wanted to create and so right that's what they did but um, I think that's that's 
a great thing about brewing is that you can you can create the beer that you want to your vision to okay. uh, you know to that's the idea to right your taste you know? and yeah exactly and so that's one of the reasons you want to do home brewing is because you know what you like that's so right you can make that and you don't necessarily have to go and and pay you know twenty dollars a six pack for it <laughs> right right. Now, Drew, all snobbery aside here, not that I would ever accuse any of us of that, but is there is it fair to say that the position that the two of you hold, when you see like Sublime or, or any of these bands kind of making a beer, is there an eye roll moment in this at all? Briefly, uh, but then I try the beer and I, I decide whether or not it's worth it. And that Sublime beer that you talked about from Mailsmith, it's actually a pretty good beer. Not bad, right? Right, yeah. yeah. But no, I mean, I get it, and I understand why why breweries do it, and why I even understand why bands do it. I mean, let's face it, you know, when we went and did that double up down at LAL Works, yeah, you know, that was a real charge. Hey, we got to play around on the big boy toys. Yeah, right, right. And for the bands, let's face it, there's also kind of something fun about having your name on something like, hey, I got my own beer. Yeah. So I, I, I totally get it, and it's totally fine in my opinion. Uh, the Sublime beer from Aerosmith has been really good in the past. Uh, actually, that drunk, that, that pumpkin drublick, uh, no, no effects beer that Stone did was actually really good. Yeah, not bad, right? Yeah. Until again, like I said, they opened under big fucking mouth and then that, 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 went, that went south. But we already covered that. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's funny to me because like, out of all of, besides the Pliny the Elder and everything else, I'm sure you guys are familiar with the brewery up in Cooperstown called Omen Gang. Oh, sure. Yeah. And they have kind of done a little bit of this. They did, the, of course, the Game of Thrones beers. I just had those uh, at uh, over Thanksgiving. My, uh, my, my brother-in-law is a, a beer enthusiast, and he uh, uh, set up the, the red, white, and black, uh, for, you know, the all-American tradition there. And, uh, <laughs> uh, but they put out a beer called Three Philosophers uh, that, for, me, for my money, outside of the elites like the Russian River or whatever, for me, I, I, I can't get enough of it. I, I feel like that, that, for me, that's the benchmark. And as a home brewer, that's what I'm striving for. Uh, thoughts on Omen Gang uh, and what do you feel like that there's something out there that inspires you that you're striving for in your own home brews? Colin, let's start with you. Well, I... Uh... I first found some Omegang brews uh, back in the late 90s, I guess, when they started to, to really come out and uh, like sell Trader Joe's and stuff. So, right. you know, I picked up a few of those, and I, I definitely tried a few, and, and they were definitely good beers. Um, but uh, I, I felt that um, I could make something that was equally satisfying to my own palate as what I would get out of an Omegang brew. Lots of and, confidence with this guy right here. <laughs> you do it long enough, you, That's you right. get ideas. Right? That's right. Yeah, right. Exactly. Is there any more of this by chance? Or does he, that that was one? my last tag. No worries. I'm very sorry. I'm, no, I'm grateful that you shared it with me. Thank you. Go ahead. You can find him out there in, in, uh, in the store. Okay. I'm not leaving California without more of that. Like, okay. Yeah. I, I, can, I don't blame you. But there's, there's, you know, there's always a few of those... those uh, crazy good eye-opening brews that uh, that every home brewer kind of carries around in their brain like uh, I myself uh, the first time I tried a, a Phantom farmhouse beer just amazingly good stuff and it's so different from everything else okay. it had this just richness and this kind of pungent aromas and this sharp tang on the palate and it was just 
such a different experience for just for drinking that you kind of think, well, why don't we have this kind of stuff here and we have to buy it from another continent? It's, yeah, right. You know, we don't have to. We can make it as homebrewers. We can do that stuff. That's right. Uh, also, like a, these other great classic beers like... Um, like um, I want to say Rodenbach Grand Cru is a is a world classic brew that uh, nobody in this country makes anything really quite similar. There's some that are kind of verging on that territory, but nobody has exactly dialed in because Rodenbach has this you know this huge history behind wow. it, and so their beers is totally unique in the brewing world and. I pretty much always try to have a bottle of it in myself, just because I never know when I want to pull it out and remind myself how great it is, because it's just really dang good, and I've right. always had it. And, you know, these these classic brewers, like uh, those ones, um, you kind of you kind of have to keep your eye on the prize to be able to keep your, your own senses of what's great dialed into your brain so you can strive for that perfection. Okay. Now, Diana, is there anything that that these guys have made? Um, like you kind of became kind of a of a, of a beer fan uh, at a proximity, right? And, oh yeah. And, and now you've got access to two of the greats here with you. Oh, so, I've got access to more than that. For our wedding, we had an open bar, the Falcons Bar, with tons and tons oh. of kegs, and I didn't pay a cent for it. I mean, how can you not be a fan of that? <laughs> you have to invite them to the party. They, they brewed a special beer for our wedding. Yeah, definitely brought and, it. And it we, was outstanding. It was a one heck of a wedding party because how, how often can you have a zero bar bill? Well, yeah. And the beer was good, too. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't just kind of like you ordered like, it, you no, know. And, yeah, right. Solid right. brew. So what, is, so what is the best beer you've ever tasted that these guys had their hands on? With Drew, it's probably yet to be brewed. The problem I have is I have now developed a, a, a wheat intolerance of some sort. So it, he makes me special beer. The best beer Cullen ever made that I had before, he actually took the top layer of our wedding cake and he made us a, um, it was a raspberry stout, but it wasn't overly raspberry. It wasn't overly raspberry chocolate chocolatey. It was, it was really a good. it was a it was a delicious rich porter a, a, a guy who owns a barbecue spot that's also a beer spot said it was probably the best porter he ever tasted it was fantastic and it took a lot of work because you can't just throw cake into beer yeah and it, but it, how it, inspired though how sweet yeah so. it, it was it was yeah, a delicious why save the top layer to have a year later make freaking beer out of it <laughs> just fossilize it yeah but how <laughs> sweet useful. literally and figuratively yeah and you mentioned beer he's made for you yeah. is that of course if he's gonna make beer for you that you actually can drink he's gonna make it the aesthetic of it yeah. for the actual bottling because uh, we definitely would want to do a part two because I would definitely want to do a thing about bottling versus kegging and yeah. all that kind of thing but I will show this to the camera. Our listeners can also can find this on our YouTube channel at Tricky Kid TV. Is it, I'm looking at something called the Mighty Blonde, which has your boy yeah. Duke from GI Joe on it. And the thing, out of anything that I saw that got you and I talking, it actually was this. Oh, the McCullens. When yeah. I saw that you had made Destro was one of my favorite characters, if not my favorite character in the whole realm. It's something called McCullens Scotch Ale, dude. That is just brilliant. That is made with love, inspiration. <laughs> this is 
if you out there ever love anything as much as this man loves this woman and as much as this woman loves G.I. Joe and as much as these guys love beer, you are on the right path to righteousness. And so McCullen Scotch Ale, I'm so It was delicious too. It's going, all gone. I'm going to make yeah, like like the some more. Yeah. like the beer that I'm making right now, I'm just gonna stick one of these on what like a bottle <laughs> to my nerdy Joe friend to go oh, look yeah. and and like I'm not gonna give anybody credit. I, like like I'm gonna say no. Of course. <laughs> I'm gonna tell them listen to this podcast and learn how to do it right. And then this other one, Scarlet uh, American Red, to made some kick-ass red ale. And we know it's kick-ass because it says it right on the label, right there. So, uh, Colin made those labels. Another artist did the uh, he another artist did the characters. His name was Nathaniel Hamill, and we sent him sort of label inspirations. And he did the the character art and sent it back to Colin. He's an amazing artist. Some of his other art, if you could just. Find him on his Facebook page. The guy is an amazing, solid, crazy good artist who has some incredible ideas. I mean, he did one of Destro on Battle Cat doing something, (laughs) shooting down, I think, somebody from Robotech. I don't know. But he sent the art. That's a nice little uh, hybrid there. Yeah. Like... Cullen used his, his huge graphic art background to put together amazing labels. But it's not just that, because then he slapped it on really great beer that he made. And all three of those brews disappeared quick. I handed out Mighty Blonde one to uh, a Joe convention. I just took it to the Joe Con to the dinner, and I handed the bottles out. Because that's always a fun thing to make oh, stuff. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. Beer is meant to be shared. And that, American Red, the, we that's handed the thing. out. Yeah, and, and, and McCullen's. We, we didn't give it to the voice actor, because Arthur Burkhardt is actually, he's dry. He's, he's completely right. sober clean uh, but he he has the labels sometimes at his table he he finds it a lot of fun we made the tartan just for the label so if you if you google uh clandestro tartan that'll pop up because okay. we have it on a tartan maker and uh <laughs> I, I know that both bj ward and has had american red and i know that uh, michael bell has had his own little bottle of mighty blonde one too and they they both highly endorse them and it was a lot of fun to make so for our listeners out there, of course, we know, and you should know as well, of course, B.J. Ward, of course, it was the person that voiced, uh, let's see, uh, Scarlet, right, mm-hmm. of course. Uh, and, of course, Michael Bell is, of course, the voice of Duke, who among is, others, yeah. Yeah, among yeah. Others, who was like your main guy there. Uh, we're going to take a quick break uh, to also get back to our sponsors. Uh, we want to plug a, a few things. First, we want to tell you that, hey... If you want to find this show, if you want to enjoy it, hey, man, we're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, we're on Pandora, all the places that you find it, uh, your favorite how you listen to podcasts, just type in Tricky Kid Radio Podcast, download it, you will find shows just like this each and every single Thursday into your iTunes or Android device or each inner way that you consume podcasts. We're on Facebook under Tricky Kid Radio Podcast, as well as under Twitter under Tricky Kid and the number two. That's Tricky Kid and the number two. And we're also on Instagram because my wife made me under my alter ego DJ Tricky Kid. Uh, But I'm not the only podcaster uh, on board here. Drew, let's plug this shit, man. Tell the, 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 the folks. I told your listeners about me. Tell my listeners about you. How can they find you, sir? Uh, you can find me on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere that you find your podcast under the name of Experimental Brewing. And we produce a weekly show. Actually, it's two shows, but they alternate weeks. So every Wednesday, brand new beer content. And then where can they find you on the, on the interwebs in terms of social media? Oh, good Lord, everywhere. Got uh, it. Just Google it. Yeah, 
Got Facebook, it. Uh, Experimental Brewing, uh, Twitter, EXP Brewing, and Instagram is Experimental Brewing. And we've probably opened up someplace else too. Maybe we have a Slack channel. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we want you guys to find this because we want you to learn. We want you to learn how to, how to do this and be part of this. Join us on the conversation, okay? Uh, hashtag we're going to use this week is Joe Brew. It's going to be J-O-E-B-R-E-W. Uh, if you're on Twitter or Instagram, uh, just use that hashtag and you can join the conversation. Uh, you can ask direct questions to Drew, to myself, to Colin, to Diana, uh, anything that you guys want, uh, want to learn. Follow these guys. Get involved. Tell us about... Uh, what, are, what are your traditions? This is going to be Christmas time. Are you making something great for your family? Uh, like we said, uh, these guys, you know, the message is, uh, you know, beer is meant to be shared, you know. And uh, uh, we want to uh, give a shout out once again to our this week's sponsor, which is Google. Uh, we want to, uh, if you're out there right now, exclusively at Walmart, you can go to Google uh, Electronics and get their Google Hub. Uh, now you can turn your freaking lights on by, instead of using the cloud, like we did in the 80s uh, you can just say hey Google turn off the lights um, also as I mentioned before we they have now have the Google read-along so that now you don't have the pesky task of having to read to your own children uh, the Google assistant will do it for you uh, so you can go and make beer and uh, and read comics and uh, and forget all about that uh, uh, you know I'm so aren't you guys so happy that they've invented something to, to, to allow you to spend like even even less time with your children you just announced my Google thing. Hey, Google. See? Okay, Google. Can you do a uh, Frozen 2 read-along? Frozen it is. See? <laughs> the microphone will be on as long as you're reading, but you can stop read-along anytime. Is it okay if I skip this notice next time? Oh, anything you'd like, Google. Okay, well, this is Sam Jones slash Gordon. I'm with Roy Turner at Tricky Kid Radio. And you better be tuning in, or I will find you. Yes, I will. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, once again, we're back here. Again, I want to thank, uh, golly, my guest, uh, Diana Davis, Colin, Davi uh, Colin uh, uh, Davis as well. Um, let me say that again. I'll scratch that. Okay, so five, four, three, two, one. Again, I want to thank my guest, again, uh, Diana Davis. God, your enthusiasm for G.I. Joe was inspiring. I've waited, like, God, six months for, to, to be here. And, and we were going to do it over the phone, and I'm so happy that we're actually able to do this all together. We will have to do a follow-up because there's so much more to talk about. Colin, I wanted to dive into you and hear in a little bit and talk about, uh, before we wrap, about how you kind of got on, on board with, with G.I. Joe because... Again, she drinks your beer, and now I, I love that dynamic there. And, uh, and Drew, I, I wanted to hear it from you before we, we, we close out here. Of course, Drew Beecham, uh, the, the brewmaster, what's going on? Tell me the current state of homebrewing that is going to take current homebrewers into the next, the, you know, we're ending a decade here. What's going to take us into the next decade? Yep. And uh, Cullen alluded to these Norwegian yeast strains in them. They're called uh, quake strains or quake or nobody knows how to say it. And they're these incredibly user-friendly strains 
that ferment hot, they ferment that fast, and they ferment aggressively. And they actually make it a lot easier for homebrewers to be able to produce really drinkable beer without having as much fuss and concern about it. So what's really hot and new is something that's really, really old. And so th- we're just getting started with these. They've only really been available to American homebrewers for about four years now. And people are really experimenting with them. You're seeing them in some of your commercial breweries as well. So I think that's the big thing. And so where, where can they get it and what is it exactly called? So there are a couple of commercial strains that are available. You can find them at pretty much any homebrew shop that, that will sell you yeast. But what you're specifically looking for is these strains that are called Quike. That's K-V-E-I-K. That's why nobody knows how to say it. Um, <laughs> but like Omega Labs is one of the big yeast companies out there that's doing a couple of these, like their Hothead and Boss Quike and Hornendal. Uh, that one that you had there was made with Hornendal. Um, but you can find those anywhere that you buy your homebrew supplies. And if they don't know about it yet, like we taught our local homebrew shop about them, they're pretty easy for those homebrew shops to get their hands on and get started with. Outstanding. Uh, Colin, would you, want, would you want to add to that? Um, you know, I, did, I think that uh, going forward, the homebrewing uh, scene is really just going to keep on uh, pressing, pressing the envelope and... Uh, trying new stuff um there's always uh, more avenues to explore and i think that uh, the emergence of the quake yeast strains are are kind of part of that and uh the the homebrewers eagerly grabbed them up and jumped in with both feet and so we're starting to see a lot of really crazy new homebrews out there with the with the these new yeast strains so uh the cool thing is that the homebrew and the commercial beer side are both kind of co-evolving with uh, adapting their recipes to these new yeast strains. So that's that's kind of a, like he says, it's it's a, a really kind of frothy emerging zone okay. of uh, brewing in general. Okay. So does anybody here have a beer or home brewing or anything tattooed on their body? Drew? Yeah. Ironically, no. No? Oh, I don't have any Colin? tattoos. Okay. I don't have any tattoos either, but the, the I'll tell you the, the the logo that we have, this this bird here that's that's sort of uh, going like that, that was conceived as a tattoo art and one of our uh, one of our members has it tattooed on himself. Okay. And we also made it into temporary tattoos we give out at fests and stuff. That okay, so that is awesome. So that way you have no tattoos, right? Nope. So I was going to say, does anybody have any beard tattoos or G.I. Joe tattoos? And you both know that my, you can't see it, but my inner arms are full of Joe tattoos because I'm a, I'm a big, I'm insane as well, my friend. I recognize your, your, your brand of crazy because I subscribe to it as well. We're cut from the same bolt of cloth there. Um, so, but that's a fun, fun thing. And, and in closing, I wanted to say, uh, so... You're the brewer. You're the you're the Joe uh, person. How did you start drawing or being involved? Not only just with GI Joe. Like you're not just hey, I'm gonna make. I made some beer for my wife. It's GI Joe. I could make a sketch that could make her happy. But now you're doing it alongside the actual canon. How did that come about? Well, it was it was really her idea because uh, she decided that she wanted to to have this beer joe project and so i figured well you know she's got the illustrator connections i've got some design ability and i know how to make beer so 
you know, we got all the things to make it happen, so we did. And it was it was definitely her idea. She wanted to make it happen, so she she saw the opportunity and saw the avenue forward, and and so I created the beer recipe, and uh, she got the illustration, and I made the layout of the label, put it all together, and it came out really good. Well, how did you get to do the cover? Well, that's another thing. I mean, that's that's, that's what kind I of a, a co-evolution, an extension. It, it, of, it went uh, from there to being, there. Yeah, yeah. Well, being being in proximity to Dai's connections with the the Joe world, and she she knows all the artists and stuff because she she loves to to get them to draw her pictures of Duke. So uh, she made friends with the artist, and so when this artist uh, Jamie Jay Sullivan, Sullivan, yeah. Uh, needed some color work. He said, "Well, why don't we see if I can do it?" So, you know, I figured I'd, I'd go ahead and give it a try. And, and this is your biggest fan right here because oh, yeah. she has been plugging it like crazy. Where I was like, "I, I got to have this book, man!" Because the the, the biggest GI Joe fan I've ever now have met in person uh, is saying that this it's is a, the real deal. It's a beautiful variant cover. It was a it was a variant cover for. Uh, uh, LA Comic Con that came out and it's based on the Missile Command Headquarters box art and Jay Sullivan, Jamie Sullivan who did the art, he's just incredible because he can get down to the most amazing detail if you saw he did an, a variant cover of the flag he did a variant cover of Sky Strikers where Ace is giving the thumbs up and they're fighting that Night Raven which is one of the most beautiful covers He's done a cover of a Cobra Temple with Joe attacking. He's done um, just a, a, a crazy, amazing his cover. He's and he hand draws all of us. You'll see bits where you think he must have scanned it, but he goes in and he draws every little line in the radio tower. He draws every little line in that water that's being washed across. Uh, he's an outrageously amazing artist. He also does uh, some Robotech art for some of the uh, Robotech toys you can get. Uh, so I saw his stuff and we've been, you know, he did me a commission and then we traded things back and forth. Cullen's first coloring for him, the cover hasn't actually come out. It's an alternate cover with low light that is just crazy amazing. That That's awesome. Yeah. But this homage to the, the Missile Command headquarters, which is... Which is sitting right behind me, by the way. It's, it's beautiful. They redid the Missile Command headquarters. The guys who redid the box for Hascon and for Comic-Con... They put a lot of love into it because they love the original Sears Missile Command headquarters. And so this alternate cover to 267 is an homage to all of them and just our love for the crazy Sears Missile Command. Totally. Because I had this as a kid. Like, oh, this yeah. was one of my favorite toys. And did you have this as well? I did not get that one because my parents, my mom's like, oh, it's cardboard. And why would I get you cardboard? And I'm like, oh, because it's the Missile Command headquarters. But... Now I have it. I have the That's right. the, the, the Hascon version, which is really nice to have. But talk to me about that, though, because, okay, let's say that you didn't even know this guy, right? Okay, the fact that this exists, that somebody has remade the Missile Command box, and now somebody for your favorite comic and your favorite thing in the world is now making a homage to it in comic book form, that's endlessly exciting to somebody like us, right? Oh, okay. Oh God, it's crazy exciting. It's 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 like literally it's the 
fucking moon landing, right? Okay. Right. But now to look at this, you would be interested in this anyway. This isn't like, oh, I'm into it because my husband is. is no, part if of I it. saw that cover, I'd know exactly what it was talking right. about, and I'd love it, and I'd pick apart all the Easter eggs and why are they posed like this, and look, there's this little Mars explosives date right. written. Yeah, oh yeah. But now that you look at it and know that it's that he had a hand in it, that has got to be. Oh, it's great. It's so, amazing. I mean, I, some of the people from Hasbro do, who didn't even know when they saw the cover come in and they were starting to review it because they had to, you know, they edit these things ahead of time. They're like, oh my God, it's your husband. It's great. I, he's always been a great artist. How many people can say that they went to school for art, which people always say, kind of, don't go to school art, you're not going to get a job. They come out of school, they get a job, they support their family. They, they pay for their house. He paid for the apartment. I mean, I work hard, but he supports a lot of what we have because of his art ability. And this is something he does that is outrageous that he's doing on the side, on top of it, because he knows I like it. And that touches me more. Is You know, he wouldn't have done it at all. Yeah, yeah. Okay, unless so he, I, you know, he knew I would love it. That's a great question, too, because, like, let's say that, you know, you didn't know her or whatever, and then for whatever reason they had approached you to do this, would this be something you probably would have turned down if not for her, for her involvement? Yeah, the thing is, it, it, I never would have gotten the, uh, the, the uh, opportunity. opportunity yeah. Because I'm, I'm, you know, without her connections, I would have been completely outside of that entire universe. So there's, there's, you know, there's just no way I would have even approached it. I wouldn't even right. seen it. So. Well, final question then, I'm going to bring it back to where we started with Diana, is that given everything that we've seen here, everything you've talked about, and your love uh, of the comics and everything else, that uh, if if the sad day does come uh, where Larry decides to, for whatever reasons, or is unable to, whatever, to continue uh, writing, and again, he is at the top of his game. It, this this is not uh, the second coming. Be- Flying off the shelf. Flying off the shelf. I don't Again. understand why it's not been discovered by outside readers because it's just a solid comic. Well, we again, we do all we can to plug it. I know that right. it's primarily for people like us that remember it from the back of the day, but it, it should be flying off the shelves. But I wanted to ask you that if Larry were to decide for whatever reason to pass the baton to me uh, to continue writing the comic book, how would that make you feel? I've not read anything else he's written, so I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to see what came out. Just based upon my love of beer and and Joe is not enough. It takes a solid writer to be able to handle such a huge cast of characters and appeal to everyone. The, the best part of G.I. Joe is it's America. Yeah. It's it's everybody. And I'm not saying it's one side or another side or one group or one extreme. It's everyone all over. It's it's the whole gamut of this country from tip to tip, from north to south to east to west. There is a character, there is a story who represents pretty much everyone. And it's not a tokenistic representation. It just is, because that's our armed forces. These are the people that he knew when he served. These are the people that are serving now. These are the people who have always served, and they're human beings, and it's a great thing. And that's amazing that he's able to handle it, because there's so many of them, and it's such a huge, vast thing to have to get under your belt. I don't know who could do it. 
I don't. I know others have tried, and there's other people writing alternate timelines, and they've done a good job. But it's a lot to take on. Well, how do you write a character that he created based upon people that he knew? You don't know this person, you, you know? You, you can just maybe do a continuation. And like I said before when we started, I won't buy anything that doesn't have, have you know, Hama's name on it, right? Mm -hmm. So why would I expect people to now buy something that says Turner instead of Hama on it, it right? Would, they you would know? have to end a real American hero because yeah. really no one but Larry could write that's it. That's right, absolutely. They have the alternate comic that's out now that's just started that I like. And people who have read it will say, why do you like that? But it's well written. It's beautiful. Yes, they've made some choices I don't agree with. And people who have read it will know why, but I can't spoil it for those who haven't. Like me, for example. But it's, a, <laughs> it's, it's totally different, and it has to be. Because this is the people who've tried to write G.I. Joe, they have this double edged sword. You can't write a real American hero. People will compare you to Larry. That's right. You can't not write a real American hero. People will compare you to Larry. That's right. So you can't really win. You have to do an alternate timeline and you have to reach people who are open it to not a real American hero. I know earlier this year, IDW teased a comic that would be a continuation of the Sunbow storyline after the movie it was teased in a yearbook they did it was beautiful well, that cobra it, law and all that kind of cobra stuff. law and all that it was only a few pages um you can find them online because people put it up online right right it was it was just a few pages a few panels you got so much in those pages and panels that you wanted it especially if you were a a, a cartoon fan but even just someone who remember Joe from when they were a kid, you'd be like, oh, I remember that. It wasn't silly. It wasn't outrageous. Right. It was going to take it a new direction. They teased it. We all flipped out. And it was called, um, uh, what is it? G.I. Joe Infinite Cobra, Cobra Infinite. It was beautiful. And we've all been like, okay, we want it. We're ready. We're ready. We're yeah, ready. Yeah. And then we never heard it about it again. <laughs> oh, my God. And I'm told it's not dead yet. I'm told it's not dead. But we haven't heard any more. Right, right. I think that would be a great way to go. Because the comic was read by a lot. In fact, A Real American Hero was one of the number one selling comics Marvel had for a good stretch. When yeah. other comics weren't selling, including X-Men, G.I. Joe was flying off the shelves. They were selling a ton of them. The cartoon reached people, more people, because you didn't have to buy it. You just had to turn it on. Yeah, right. It was all around the world. So there are people who have never touched a comic, never seen a toy, that have seen that cartoon, that will remember one bit of it that they saw, or they'll remember the animated commercials that are sort of covering all of it, that were really the first thing to come out. They'll remember the sound of the characters' voices. That's they'll right. See, they'll hear those characters' voices when they see that comic. And that might be a way that they could, if, God forbid, Larry just, I'm done. He's done. He's not right. doing anymore. Right. That would probably be a good way to continue it. The the they. They could even bring in some of the writers. They could even bring in some of the writers from the cartoon who are still out there. They could even bring some of the storyboard artists that are still out there. Or they could continue it with these two guys who really were excited about it and wanted to do it. I Just look it up online. It's crazy. It's outrageous. And I really, again, I've, I've been bugging IDW people as much as I possibly can. Trust me, that's a lot. <laughs> um, and I want it. I want to see it. I want to read more. I want that to continue.
Well, no disrespect to anybody that came before or was probably way more qualified th th than I, but I say, fuck that. I've got this shit tattooed on my body. You and I should collaborate. You should draw it. Uh, and if, if I don't get the job, I, I'm rooting for you to, to, to do it. Uh, so this has been so much fun. I've looked so much forward to this. I told you there would be a time at the end to plug. Uh, Drew, was there anything else you wanted to plug? I know we, we, we plugged your podcast. Anything else you wanted to mention before we wrap? Yeah, I just want to say, if you're into beer, home brewing is probably the best way for you to increase your beer appreciation. It's not that hard to do. Everybody's got a local home brew shop. Go find it. Go take care of it. And if you have questions, you can always ask me. That's right. That's right. With Drew Beecham, everybody. Thank yeah. you so much, Drew, for being here. Uh, Colin, what anything you wanted to plug, my friend? Well, you know, I, I basically just want to go uh, go on uh, his his suggestion and to get into home brewing. It's uh, it's really not that hard. It's just another kind of cooking. And yes, this guy does know everything. I've I've known him long enough to know that he he knows everything. It's just that. Don't, it's not. It's not a question. He knows everything. It's it just, disgusting he how much he, he knows about <laughs> But you know, all this stuff, all the the GI Joe comic covers and the labels and the brewing and all this stuff. If it wasn't fun, I wouldn't do it. Right. So I'm telling you, it's fun. Do it. it. That's right. Diana, anything else you wanted, wanted to plug? Uh, I want to plug a bunch of things. Go uh, for the, it. the thing we, we worry about is GI Joe has disappeared for stretches of time. You know it. Yeah, I know it. That's it's right. Just disappeared. But it's always been kept up by hardworking fans who have put blood, sweat, and tears into digging up all sorts of information, cleaning up all sorts of art, just getting all this stuff you never knew about and bringing it and getting it together. There are collectors who have crazy amounts of things that you can see. There's a, a group called Joe Declassified. Those guys have worked hard over years and years and years. They put out usually a yearly book. Um, they have websites. You can look up some of their stuff. There is um, a noted author, James Cavanaugh Jr., who has an amazing collection of books, uh, the RAHC Guide, Rank and File as well. Those books are good for any action figure collectors that you could come up with. Uh, Jim Sorensen and Bill Forrester have put together two books of the model sheets that Russ Heath drew and others drew. A gentleman named Carson Metaxas is three and three-quarter Joes. He has collected all of the art from all of the packages, cleaned it up. He also has amazing posters of every single action figure made that you can put on your wall and look at your favorite Joe figures. We have a, another podcast by an amazing guy. It's called Full Force. Okay, You can find out anything about G.I. Joe, including the upcoming movies, any upcoming figures, uh, reviews. And just beyond that, look on social media. There are tons of really hardworking G.I. Joe collectors, G.I. Joe preservationists. Check out yojo.com if you have any question about any figure. That site has everything about figures and comic books and other things made. If you want to look it up, if you remember it, if you want to see it again, just look for those people and they will help you. They will guide you. There are groups all over social media. There's just tons of it. So if Joe goes, it won't go because right. we, we just we keep it alive. 
Goja. All right. <laughs> and we'll have links to all everything that Diana mentioned on our website at trickykid.com. It's tricky hyphen or dash or whatever nomenclature you prefer. Trickykid.com. We'll have links there. Once again, I want to thank all of my guests. Thank you for welcoming into your home. We will do, if you guys are up for it, I would love to do a sequel uh, in January. Sure. Drew, we'll get into things like forced carbonation and all types of super nerdy things like that. I would like to expound upon your thoughts about uh, the G.I. Joe movies and, and things like that. So, so much more to talk about. Again, I want to thank all of our sponsors and thank my guest. Again, uh, we uh, I've looked so forward to this and to finally to be able to complete this um, and at least start this. We should, should be a, a regular series because, again, we would just scratch the service for so much. I want to direct everybody to also to check out our YouTube channel, Tricky Kid TV, because I'm about to film some amazing shit here in, in Diana's house to so check out her collection. Uh, do they, you guys want to plug any social media accounts, anything like that, before we before we wrap it all? No, okay. I, I don't have anything myself. Okay. You can look up the uh, homebrew club that I'm a member of, the MaltoseFalcons.com. Oh, there, you, there you have it. Once again, I am your host, Roy Turner, and we will see you next week.